to episode 56 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, sitting quietly, leafing through Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's match strategy manual, is Dr. Lee Quesad. How you doing, Doc? Oh, good morning. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> dropped off for a second there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I sort of managed to close at least four of my eyes. Yes, yes. Um, just having a quiet doze. Um, what is this thing? Why am I holding it? Um, and why did you cause it to, to like, appear in my presence? Um, I know there was the usual, like, um, crackle of badly animated lighting, such as you might find in an Indian horror film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this, this, this thing appeared, like, smoking in... Um, in the middle of my current hideaway. Yeah. And that could mean it was only from Mo. Sure. Um, there's, there's nobody else who sends me urgent mail like that. Telltale sign, isn't it? That's a message yeah. from me. Um, I, I picked it up eagerly, um, assuming that it was like maybe one of the lost volumes of um, Hermes Trismegistus or, uh, you know, possibly um, an ancient work of Arab sorcery from the 7th century or something of course, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, the, the, the normal exhibits that I that, that I hold in my private collection. Well, the, um, the things I rely on you to find for yeah. me, because since since you resemble a human being, um, <laughs> there are places in the human world where you can go and I can't. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm presuming, I'll, Doc, that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's match strategy manual is is, is in fact just a, 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 a book of. Empty pages, isn't it? There's, surely there's nothing written on it. Well, this, this is one of the big problems, and I, it's it's a mystery for me. I'm, I'm sat here turning the thing over in my hands and trying to work out what it's supposed to accomplish. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, could it be that I'm just not evil enough for the words to even appear on the pages? No, no. I mean, peek behind the curtain, guys. We're, we're recording this on the, on the Sunday after the night before... Man United got thrashed 4-1 yesterday by the by the mighty Watford, and I was roaring with laughter. And uh, and so I, I, just, I thought I'd, 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 I'd bid the doc, the, the good doc here, into my world. It's absolutely riotously entertaining. So I can take some vicarious... Pl- uh, listeners note, um, we are veterans of the age when Manchester United spent about... 10 years being unendurably smug. Mm. Um, well, they, were, they, they were the Michael Schumacher of football, weren't they? Just, just relentlessly winning week after week after week. And being so fucking relentlessly smug about it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The time. Yeah. Um, I mean, historical perspective, I don't know if Manchester United in those days were actually anywhere near as smug and obnoxious as, um, I don't know, he... Even who it is this week? I think is is it still Manchester City who win everything at the moment? Yeah, Manchester City, Liverpool. You know, Liverpool fans can you know kind of approach that level of smugness from time to time, don't they? But I think the Spanish the Spanish have a word for for, for my emotion, Doc. I think it's the really well known Spanish word Schadenfreude. Um. Yeah, uh, I think that is a very good <laughs> I love that pause there, Doc. Were you, were you trying to figure out if I was being serious or not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think you'll probably find it's Catalan and not Spanish. Oh, thank, yeah, thanks for the correction. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. when, it's when, good to get when, your facts right, isn't it? 
when you get into that corner of the Iberian Peninsula, it, it's, <laughs> it's very, very good to uh, to make sure you're actually drawing down from the correct language because people get really annoyed. I know, I know, it's true. <laughs> Doc, what, what have we been listening to this week? Uh, this week, fair enough, fair enough. I got a bit confused there, dear listener, because actually we only recorded the last episode yesterday, so my, my mind kind of got a bit befuddled then for a second. Um, Absolutely nothing. Fair enough, Doc, and, and that's well, fair enough because... You know, Which I apologise. No, that's all right. But, 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 it, you know, it, it's only been 24 hours or so. Uh, I'll tell you what I've been listening to. Wonderful. Um, oh, absolutely wonderful track by, I think they're Norwegian. Hang on, I'm just going to open up their uh, their Wikipedia page here. I believe they're um, they're Norwegian. A duo called Royskop. Um, oh, yes. Do, 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 you familiar, familiar with these guys, Doc? Um. Yeah, now, I had, um, I believe they're Icelandic. Norwegian, I'm looking at it here. Okay. Yeah. Uh Um, Now, there was a whole bunch of um, odd Scandinavian bands, um, and I can remember Moon Moon being one of them, Mm -hmm. um, that were about, I'd say, probably 20 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I... in the depths of my fuzzy memory, I've got Ruskop um, sort of included in, in in that list. Can you remind me what they sound like? Well, it's it, 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 it's curious. It's really hard to categorise. Actually, it's it, it's you know there's electronica going on, but it, but it also sounds like like in quotes a proper band at the same mm-hmm. time. It's all very kind of ethereal and and, and like wishy washy, just kind of like dreamy, trancey you know, floaty kind of music that, you know, ju- ju- just kind of carries you on a, on, on a wave of almost like melancholic bliss in a strange kind of way. Um, Has it got but, whale noises in them? There aren't whale noises, but, but, but there certainly could be. And, you know, yeah. you wouldn't be far off the mark if, if you know, if, if you said something like, I don't know, like Enya would be some kind of influence somewhere in the background, yeah. you know, yeah. or Cranad, you know. Um, that kind of stuff. That that's a funny thing, isn't it? And here's another Mandela effect. I think we talk about Mandela, Mandela effect quite often. I'm convinced that Enya was in Clanad, but she, yes, she was. But she was not. Yes. Well, uh, uh, um, her name was Etna in those days. I've, I've had this. I've had this conversation with my with my housemates. They are big Enya fans and big Clanad fans. And they insist to me that she was never in Clanad. Are they wrong? I mean, um, unless she um, appeared as a video model in the uh, promotion clip for the Robin of Sherwood theme. Uh, um, Was anyone in Clanad? Here we go. I understood it. She used her actual given name of Etna in those days. Enya began her music career when she joined her family's Celtic folk band Clanad. They're wrong, Doc. Don't worry. It's not the Mandela effect. It's just people getting the facts wrong. Don't worry, Doc. Yeah. That's all right. Let's let's get back to Roy Scott. The, the the track I've been listening to is called "What Else Is There." Oh, 
and it's it was released. Let me let me just check the dates here. It was released in uh, two thousand and five. This just wonderfully ethereal, drifty, floaty music. The thing that captivates me, I think, above anything else, are the lyrics. And I'm going to be a bit self-indulgent, Doc, if you don't mind. I'm going to read you the lyrics. Bear with me. I don't know if I'm going to get through these without my voice cracking. So bleep, I apologise in advance, listeners, if I do. Here's what she says. It was me on that road, but you couldn't see me. Too many lights out, but nowhere near here. It was me on that road. Still, you couldn't see me. And then flashlights and explosions. Roads end getting nearer. We cover distance, but not together. I am the storm and I am the wonder. And the flashlights, nightmares and sudden explosions. I don't know. What more to ask for? I was just given, I was given just one wish. It's about you and the sun, a morning run, the story of my maker, what I have and what I ache for. I've got a golden ear. I cut and I spear. But what else is there? Oh, Doc, honestly, it just blows. It just takes my fucking mind to a different place and a better place than here. And that's what music should do, isn't it, Doc? Yeah, definitely. Um, There's a transportative power, um, to to, to quote from another source, um, even though there's nothing quite as evocative as one sense of smell, is there? Oh, yes, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I get proper um, synesthetic moments um, from music, the first thing that music reminds me of is smells. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it's cracked the business of reminding you of a smell, then everything else follows. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's so powerful, isn't it? You know, the, the, the enslaved, the kind of like oddball, experimental, avant-garde black metal band, I think they're also Norwegian. I, I, I need to check that, but I think they are Norwegian too. They did a cover of this track as, as, as like a bonus track on, on, one, on one of their more, one, you know, one of their more recent albums. Um listen to two doc Roy Scott get it get it down in next guys uh jam time we've only got one um because <clears throat> obviously we you know we, we only recorded the last episode yesterday I forgot to mention a track from above and beyond you know du- during what we've been listening to section I, I talked about above and beyond but, but I, I just forgot to mention a track I'm going to say go and listen to alchemy the second track from the 2011 2011 offering group therapy it's absolutely great
My good man, between one and seven. Oh, seven, please. Number seven. Oh, here we go. Is it necessary for a band to tour to stay relevant? What do we think about that? Oh, what an excellent question. Thank you, sir. Uh, as usual, 20 or 30 years ago, um, I would have said that I had no interest in any band that didn't play out. Yeah. Um, and I mean that I was actually so like teenage militant about this that this even included bands who had already broken up before I got into them. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, it, but hopefully we all grow up sooner or later. <laughs> um, it's like um, no, um, I'm not going to have any chance to see them uh, at the peak of their powers, and I certainly don't uh, want to watch. Um, a bunch of old blokes paying their income tax, not interested at all in any way, shape or form. Sure. This is a, a, a historical thing because going out to see bands was how I got into almost everything that I listened to. Yeah. For a good long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still a tiny little grouch at the back of my head um, about the whole, uh, but can they play it live? Thing. Sure. Now, sooner or later, as your ch- tastes change, you have to make room in your mind for studio only projects. Um, so this, this happened to me when I got into black metal. Um, there were a lot of black metal bands who like never played live, um, largely because, um, they thought that playing live was too much fun and they didn't want their audiences to enjoy themselves. (laughs) Um, The miserable um, bunch of old bastards, weren't they? Um, I, I believe it was Dark Throne, um, and they said that the, um, the coming together of the uh, the live show healed people people's alienation, and they didn't want people to be healed of their alienation. They sure. wanted them to be lonely and suicidal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you you begin to make some space for that, um, and then eventually you sort of you come to realise if you're going to learn anything new uh, about anything that's happening in the world, you sort of need to get over that, that, that little prejudice about yourself. Um, and you start listening to a bunch of stuff that you don't have the slightest chance of ever getting to see live. Mm-hmm. I've alluded to this before. Um, what finally fixed that for me was sticking my neck out quite a long way um, and going to see Porter's Head and they were fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's when you realise, well, that was terrible, but... Um, what do you expect from a band that's basically a studio project? Mm-hmm. Um, and at least at least half of what you get on the record is in post-production anyway. Um, so, you know, um, grow up. Um, what was it that you reasonably expected? Mm. I, I, uh, I view it as like a different skill set, really. Like you, when I was younger, I, I, I was very disparaging about any kind of music that couldn't be replicated live directly, you know, 
you can't record it, use backing tracks and multi-tracking stuff. You've got to be able to, you know, pick up your instruments and just be able to play it. And to me, unless you could do that, it wasn't real music, you know. Um, but, but, but that's just a really kind of juvenile viewpoint. I see it now uh, because it's just a totally different skill set, isn't it? You're trying to accomplish something different, basically. Well, I, I think you need to set out your... These days, I've rationalised it thusly to myself. If you set out your store from the beginning, that you're a studio project um, yeah. and that your product, what, what you aim to produce is the record. Yeah. Um, then that's fine and I don't mind. But if you set out your store um, as a band who play live and who play live shows and who do that, that, that communal bringing together experience in front of people... If your records end up being something that you very clearly couldn't produce live, then I'll, 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 I will stroke my chin in your direction. <laughs> in your general bit. direction. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I will stroke my chin in your general direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who was it, Doc? Because we, we, we've lifted that, that quote from somewhere. Didn't somebody, I can't remember who it was, but I'm sure it was a metal, a metal band said something like, oh, you know, or maybe it was a, a review of, of, of an album. And he, he said something like, I will, I, I will fart in your general direction. What was that, Doc? I'm going to have to think hard about that and look yeah. it up. Uh, it, it sounds like something one of the funny assholes would have said. Yeah, yeah, it? I think so. I think um, it could, it, it could um, be. In order to prove that they have the senses of humour. Correct. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that'll be worth trying to track down or at least uh, spending a, a little while trawling the depths of my memory. <laughs> to come to the end of your question, um, which will end with a question of its own, um, nine, much more than 90% of anything new that I pick up and listen to nowadays is likely to be a studio-only project. Mm-hmm. Um which, as I say, if, if people set out their stall to, to, to do that, then um, it's not really problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the counter question I need to ask to you is, do I listen to anything nowadays that could even remotely be considered relevant with a capital R? And sure. I don't sure. think I do. Sure, sure. Uh, it's, it's, so, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. I did, I did, look, in quotes, proper bands also use trickery, don't they? I, I'm thinking... Um, Archspire are a band kind of reviled by like, by, by like the like pure Kavult elite kind of metal fraternity. I think they're absolutely awesome, incidentally. You know, they're, 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 I think it's their third album. I think it's called Relentless Mutation. I, I, I might have got, got that slightly wrong. <laughs>
when you say a phrase like that, um, I'm not rolling my eyes at you, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm rolling my eyes because I just want to know what do these people do this time to earn the everlasting enmity and revulsion of the true cult black metal fraternity? Yeah, well, well, well what they do is, you know, they um, they take like the ingredients of death metal and then and and then do something different and new and weird with it, and 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 and, and those purist motherfuckers just don't like that do they? They, they they want everything to stay they want everything to be like it's 1991 basically right so it, it's 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 the sort of retro death metal fans who who, who don't like them i think so um, it seems a weird attitude to take to me you know that there's this band that never claimed to play the kind of music that i claim to be into mm-hmm. and i'm going to hate them for that mm. But the, um, the, the reason I invoke their name is because, you know, they are the almost kind of end point, I would say, of technical death metal, um, where, it, where it is just, it is so incredibly complicated and inhuman. Um, I can't see how that boundary can be pushed much further. Um, but in order to achieve that, they are obviously using like studio trickery. There is no, I, I, refu- I, I refuse to believe that that drummer is playing every single one of those drums. There's triggers galore going on, Doc. Um, but then, you know, when it's a thing in and of itself, um, I don't like it, but I've got no problem with, I, 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 I don't like excessively triggered drums. I don't like, that sort of computer-assisted in human precision. I yeah. don't like it. But as a thing in and of itself, I, I don't have a problem with it, with it existing. And I mean, sooner or later, you have to work out, like, how Islamic fundamentalist or how Khmer Rouge are going to get about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't, isn't an electric guitar studio trickery? Isn't magnetic yeah. tape studio trickery? Exactly. Exactly. That's the point, isn't it, you know? Isn't, um, isn't pressing a record relying on technology? Mm. Um, I mean, the... the my, you, you, kind of my sacred cow, I suppose, is, you, you, you know, the thing that, ironically, the thing that triggers me is the auto-tuned vocals. I, I just hate that kind of style of R&B in particular that uses those god-awful auto-tuned vocals. But then, you know, you know that, that, the lizard part of my brain hates that. But then, like, the rational part of my brain, I have to go, well, hang on. You know, you, you know, you play guitar and you use a, an effects pedal on your guitar. What's the fucking difference? Um, autotune is a weird one, isn't it? Um, I'm assuming you're not going to compromise your gay credentials by saying that you don't adore Do You Believe by Cher. Progenitor, wasn't it? That you know, that you know what I mean. That, 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 that that's typhoid Mary. Cher 
it's typhoid Mary, Doc. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I, along with drum machines and along with sequences, I like auto-tune vocals when people set up their store, like when, when they're used as an effect, when they're used as an instrument in their own right. Yeah. Um, I've got no interest in people who use a drum machine um, and try to make it sound like a drum set or use a sequencer um, and try to, you know, like um, pose on Jules Holland or something and try to pretend they're playing it. Um, use a sequencer. No one might. Sequencers aren't secret nowadays. Everyone no. knows they exist. And there's exactly. nothing shameful about using one. Um, and, you know, so use a drum machine that sounds like a drum machine. Um, use a sequencer um, and put your hands behind your head when you're pretending to play live mm. and don't even bother. Um, and, uh, you know, the answer to should I use auto-tune or not um, is not whether or not you should, it's how much you should use. And my answer to that question would be fuck loads. Mm. <laughs> it, 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 and if it suits the tune, it suits the tune, doesn't it? You know, um, it, it, and like I said, that's just like a base kind of lizard brain reaction that I have, that I have to, you know, kind of check, I have to check myself basically. And then go, no, 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 get real, get real, Mo. Um, Anything else to say on this? Story? Oh, I'll tell you what, the, 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 you know, talking about bands that you kind of get into and realise you're never going to be able to see them live. I mean, a big one for me, very mainstream, I know, but it's, it's Queen, you know, I, I, I love Queen to pieces. Of course, never, ever going to be able to see. I know they're still touring and stuff, but but it ain't Queen, is it, without Freddie? So, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it can't happen. And it, it, it's terribly sad and it... And it, it disappoints me every single day when I think about it, but it's just reality, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's um, a lot of these, the one that I, I, I need to come back to, um, because at least one person will be sort of raising a finger and going, but a couple of weeks ago you said, um, yeah. the huge one um, that I at least need to name check in the context of this question is um, Steely Dan, who I've been experimenting with a bit recently. Sure. Um, and whose back catalogue I can pretty much leave well alone, except they've got two albums that I love to bits. Mm. Um, and uh, the, those few albums that they actually ended up being legendary for, um, they're almost anti-live, mm. um, given that they were made in the era before sequences and drum machines and auto-tune were a thing, um, that they're as close as you can get to what we're going to do is make an album and we're going to bend our wills towards nothing but achieving studio perfection and fuck sure. the live show. Yeah. 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 Steely Dan. I think we do, we, we, we did a big um, Steely Dan section in a, in our blood red episode, uh, which, yeah. was, which was great fun. Yeah. So good to remind the, the listeners of their existence, I suppose. Doc, should we get on with the show? Yes. Welcome to part two of the show. Here we're going to play the track, pause it from time to time and have a little chin wag. Um, today's track is track six from Seasons in the Abyss, which is, of course, Hallowed Point. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. 
there be more of a, a, of a contrast to the last track, basically? Dead Skin Mask finished off side one of seasons, uh, you know, back in the days when people bought vinyl and cassettes and shit. Um, and, and this is the opener to side two. And it's almost like, you know, oh, you know, we kind of got that out of our system. We, you know, we kind of got all brooding and atmospheric and scared the living shit out of you. And now we're just going to punch the living fuck out of you, basically. Yeah, I mean, this is thrash as intense as almost anything they've achieved before now, isn't it? Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? It really is. Um, you know, is, is, is anything on Railing Blood faster than this? I mean, you know, without actually measuring it, I'm not sure. Um, one of the things I admire most about this song, uh, because it's the perfect speed for it, and it's the perfect rhythm for it, is that they do not use the anal sex with dwarves cadence at any point during the song. <laughs> anal sex with dwarves. <laughs> um, it must have been so tempting, hadn't it? <laughs> yeah, because you're ripping along. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, we're, we're not going to talk about the vocals, particularly in this section, but his first two words high velocity. Yeah, too right, Tom, too right. <laughs> They almost hit it there, didn't they? They almost yes, did it. Almost. They went anal sex with, but they just forgot about the dwarves. <laughs> they forgot the dwarves. Say something, dog. This is my favourite Slayer song to play. Really? Yeah. It it, it is so much fun to play. It it, it you know because it's breakneck, um, and you're kind of dancing around the, the like the E string and the A string, um, and there's such fury to it. But 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 then kind of later in the track, it kind of gets a bit groovy too, um, and you're kind of using your you're using your like your, your, your little kind of pinky finger and your and, 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 and what's the one next to it called? Like, like your ring finger, I suppose. Yeah, yeah your, your wedding ring finger, you know, um, so you, you, like, you, to play the melody and stuff. It is absolutely sensational fun to play. Your, your wedding ring finger or, or, or your engagement ring finger? Which way mm. around are they? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know there was a difference. Uh, different hands. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, because yeah, I play guitar, even even though I'm naturally kind of left-handed, I play guitar right-handed, just because when, like, when I learned guitar, it was cheaper to get a, a right-handed guitar. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but, mate, later in life, I bet you regret that, because nothing in the world 
looks better than that that Slayer lineup with the bass player in the middle and a left-handed guitarist to the left-hand side and a right-hand guitarist yeah. to the right-hand side of it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, absolutely correct. Oh, you, you, you could join almost any band, couldn't you? If you say I'm a left-handed guitarist, you know, but lots of they'll snap your hand off won't they just just because of the aesthetic of it basically yes um, yeah, no you did right just just uh, just so long as you can match uh, master the uh, the timing of the synchronized head banging <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and of course if you're detrimental um the, uh, the drummer has to drill the two guitar players mercilessly to get them to master simultaneous air rotations <laughs> what What's their killer track, Doc? Detrimentum. This is a Northampton band. Absolutely. Um, me, me and the Doc love them. What's, what's their killer track? Some Odyssey to... Um, it's either Effigy to the Silent Kings or, the or Scales to Weigh the Measure of a Man. Yeah, Effigy to the Silent Kings. I'm Kings, honestly, guys, go, 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 go and get this downloaded from somewhere. Absolutely fucking brilliant. Kerry. That is Kerry, though. Well, the <laughs> been a while since you got one. I know. Yeah. What, what, what was the giveaway for you? Um, there's not quite as much bluesy bending mm. in Kerry as in mm -hmm. Jeff. Um, there aren't. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff will occasionally like um, bend um, for, for a morbid effect. Yeah. As opposed to a classic rock effect. But huh? I think if a Jeff solo goes by and he doesn't that, do that thing where um, he bends a string so that he basically plays the same note twice at the same time on two different strings, then relaxes the bend so they go out of tune. Do you know mm -hmm. the thing I mean? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if I don't hear that, um, at least for a split second... Um, I'm reason. I'm, I'm reasonably confident it's not Jeff. Sure. On the other hand, this song is fucking fast. I don't even know how I'd have noticed it anyway. Yeah, no, that's fair point. That's fair point. Here we go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
they've just turned up the groovometer dial, haven't they, Doc? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and as you can imagine, I wholeheartedly approve. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 and, and so you should, sir. <laughs> So there we go. That was track six from Seasons in the Abyss, Hallowed Point. First impression. How good, how good is that last 40 seconds? Well, I tell you what, it's really, really difficult to play. Um, it's one of the most challenging bits of Slayer that I've, you know, that, that I've encountered. Um, when you nail it, it's really, really re- rewarding, but it, it really makes you, makes your hand hurt. It's a, it's a real kind of finger stretcher. Um, and it, 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 honestly, it, it, but learning to play this track inflicted pain upon my hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, did, but but, but it's, 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 it is well worth it. Um, it just that change up. They've been, they've, they've been ripping at kind of breakneck speed, relentless and then suddenly it just kind of breaks down and we go into a bit of groove and the pace drops and you kind of expect, you think, well, you, you, you've got to lift the speed again because that's a weird thing to do, isn't it? Almost like, it's almost like anti-climactic almost, but man, it works for me, Doc. Um, I mean, every single second of that last 40 seconds, there's something different going on all the time um, mm. and they're all good bits as well. Mm. Mm. I mean... A, how good at writing metal do you have to be that Slayer can come up with a riff and only play it, like, just do one repetition of eight times in the whole entire... How, how, how can you just, like, treat riffs that good with such casualness? Yeah, almost, like, throw them away with kind of gay abandon. Well, it's... Um, it reminds me of, um, you know, like... Uh, why does anyone even bother running for a Japanese subway train? Oh, don't worry about it. There'll be another one along in three minutes mm-hmm. and, it, and, and, and it will be on time. Um, yeah. There's no chance it'll be late or cancelled. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't, don't even bother running. There'll be another one along in three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just kind of tossed that, you know, they, they, they tossed that kind of that riff in. And for, for, for any other band, that would be the basis of, of a whole track, wouldn't it? Um, I would do my best to get a whole album out of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 to them, they just know it. It, it just kind of comes to them, doesn't it? It's it's like um, like windfall, basically. They just kind yeah. of you know they, they they walk down the street and the wind blows and the leaves fall off the trees and those those leaves are riffs to slayer. Mate, at this point, I think of um, Kerry and Jeff. Um, as a couple who are very much in love mm. and they don't feel the need to take snapshots of all their romantic moments because um, even if they're lost like leaves on the wind they know there'll be another one soon uh, like in, in a very short amount of time exactly yeah absolutely right man absolutely right um 
you generally prefer the like, you know like the mid-paced stuff or, or even the slow ones like dead skin mask i would argue is, is a slow song not it's not even mid-paced um but this one seems to float your boat as well doc so how do we explain that um because even though it's fast um there's the fast bits aren't groovy the fast bits are are, uh, are not rolling um, in their own way, but they contain the potentiality of it mm. um, and then justify themselves completely by becoming groovy at the end. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and do, you, do you think it was like a necessary, almost like palate cleanser after Dead Skin Mask, you know, you, you, you know, just, just, just a reset, effectively? Well, it's necessary for it to be, isn't it? Because I really don't know how I feel about saying things like this, but... Um, Slayer are a cult band, and they have a loyal audience that have certain expectations. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying give the people what they want or what they demand all the time, because in the end, it's your band and you get to make creative decisions. But, you know, pe- people, presumably a lot of people have bought that record on spec with certain expectations. And um, I, I think you owe them some of that, at least. Point number two, it's the start of side two. Um, so, yeah, um, you uh, you do need to eat some uh, pickled ginger and sort of uh, reset your palate a bit. Sure. Um, if only you're going to go back to eating something exactly the same. Um, it, there is a potential, I think, for side one to cloy on you a bit, mm. or at least too much more of that to, to begin to cloy on you a bit. Mm. Well, I think there is a pattern to this album. Side one and side two almost kind of follow... A very not identical but very similar template which is that kind of fast slow fast slow and then kind of you know the last track is the atmospherics basically obviously you know we're kind of going to get to the rest of the tracks on this album um but 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 the closing track on this album is definitely you know comparable to dead skin mask is it not um, I'm going to keep my tongue behind my teeth until we get to that track because I, I've, um, I've got so much to say about it. Yeah. Um, but the potted version in advance, it's like nothing Slayer have ever done up to this point. It's not really like um, anything any band in the world had ever done mm. um, up until this point. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's one of the most influential songs of the... Um, I was going to say interregnal, but that's not right because uh, it, it it wasn't made in between two kings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was made at that sort of quiet still point where the influence of one decade is tailing off, and the influence of another decade has yet to pick up. Mm-hmm. And if you like that, that the whole world is very very primed for influences. It's poised, isn't it? It's nineteen ninety. You know, you know, the world of rock. Is poised at this point, isn't it? And some, you know, something new is coming. Uh, I think at this yeah, point, I, I mean, don't quite know what it is. I I liken it to a pencil balanced point downwards on top of a cone, mm-hmm. uh, and it it has a very very delicate balance. It's just about standing upright, but that cannot be sustained for very long, and it's going to yeah. fall in one direction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct, Doc. Anything else to say about the music, or should we should we crack on with the with the words? 
Oh, let's get into the words because they're, they're, they're quite. Well, I was going to say that they're quite interesting, as as, as if that was unusual. Uh, Slayer tracks, uh, uh, Slayer lyrics are always interesting, even yeah. when they're. T- Welcome to part three of the show. Here we're going to read the lyrics and talk about them, I suppose, Doc, if you insist. Um, do you want to hit me with the first four lines, sir? Well, before I hit you with the first four lines, um, I've just got one thing to say, which is yeah. he's back. He's, um, hang on, hang on. He's back. Well, I, I mean, I'm trying to pick up the reference, Doc. Go on, help uh, me out. There's some, um, like, staggeringly crap Kerry King. Oh, I see. Uh Go on, yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, So I'm going to chew the side of my cheek and try to get these lyrics out with a straight face. High-velocity bullet at close range can damage the mind, (laughs) shattering the skull, shredding the brain, severing the spine. Bury a round of lead in the chest, it's quite an impression. Imagine the innards of your soul, the infliction. Oh, Carrie, how I've missed you. (laughs) (laughs) He's back in. I really, really have. I've really missed crap Carrie King lyrics. (laughs) High velocity bullet at close range can damage the mind. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Bury a round of lead in the chest. It's quite an impression. We've we've got two instances of unintentional mildness. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, I've noted one later, actually. Unintentional (laughs) mildness. Yeah, I have. We've we've got some not quite rhyming rhymes. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, I, I just want to hug the man. Yeah, yeah. But, and, you know, not, not to piss on your parade here, Doc, but do you not think that um, he's not being literal, is he? You know, so the high-velocity bullet at close range can damage the mind. He's not talking about the bullet going into the brain of the person who's being shot. He's talking about the mind of the person pulling the trigger, Doc. Um, yes, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the <laughs> line itself is so naive and artless. Um, effectively, the words he's written down on a piece of paper are being shot in the head at point blank range can cause brain damage. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you, can blow, you can blow your brains out, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. uh, I mean... I had toyed with the idea that it's another Slayer POV song, um, and um, it's 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 from the POV of like a stunted right wing um, out and out anti intellectual um, gun freak. You know, um, I ain't writing no fag poetry, not for nobody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I toyed with that idea. Mm. Um, I did, I did, I did. And is that an accusation you you kind of thrown at Kerry? No, 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 not at all. Because no, you, you wouldn't be the first person to do that. I think Slayer have got enough of a history of writing POV songs. I mean, I, mm. I, I, I got in a right old lather about um, 
Silent Scream. Sure. Um, and that's your go-to, isn't it, for, for Slayer? That's your go-to kind of annoyance track, basically. Well, uh, you insisted that it was a POV track. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think it was nearly enough of a, POV, uh, of a POV track, and it sounded like an anti-abortion song to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is about this track. I don't think it's just Kerry King um, advocating firearms ownership. I think, it's, uh, and we'll get into it as, as we go through, I think... It's the anthropomorphization of the gun as a character that's taking part in the crime that's being committed. Um, I'm going to push it one bit further. It's the anthropomorphization of the gun that's being used in the eternal war. Wow. Oh, Doc, we've got a bit of cosmology. And you know yeah. how excited I get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's push on. Because um, I've, I've, I've got a big silly grin stitched over my face now, and I just can't wait to see how this works out. Here we go. So I'll give you the chorus. Instinctive regression with intent to kill. No regard of human life or the blood spilled. There we go. So that, 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 that's effectively the chorus. Um, instinctive regression. Um, so I, d- I don't know who's regressing there. Um I don't know why it's an instinct. Um, intent to kill, fair enough. Again, I, I think that's the gun that's intending to kill, not the person. I think the gun desperately wants the person who's holding it to, to, to pull the trigger, to, to, to commit crime. Because otherwise, if you're a gun, what purpose do you have in life? Oh, um, lots. I mean, to... Uh, <clears throat> I have an interesting relationship with firearms, which is that I've um, got no interest in owning one or keeping one in my house and certainly no interest in keeping one about my person. Mm. Um, but from the point of view of pieces of engineering, um, the purpose of a gun is to solve a whole bunch of absolutely contradictory problems and the ingenuity that goes into designing them and making them um, is very, very interesting for me. Sure. Um, I can't remember which ancient Western um, it is, and someone says the most useful gun is the one that never leaves its holster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, living in, only ever having really lived in countries or parts of countries with very strong gun control laws, except for a few months, Um I've never had to sociologically deal with um, issues of gun control. Yeah. I can stand completely, just for once in my life, I can stand completely apart from the politics of the situation and just um, appreciate the skill and the design and the innovation. And actually, the way in which firearms design is kind of social history in its own right. Mm -hmm. This kind of conflict called for this kind of weapon, but then social history changed and this kind of conflict called this kind of weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So necessity being the mother of invention, effectively. No, not always. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. No, it's all right. It's... I, I, I threw it out as a... It was a thought bomb, and I, and I want your opinion. Um, sometimes just getting better being mm-hmm. um, the mother of invention. Um, I mean, the, the invention of smokeless powder... Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly meant that you could have a well the the entire physics of firearms ballistics changed completely um, because you were able to have supersonic rounds for the first time mm-hmm. you were able to get very high speeds um with a much smaller cartridge and 
like this this literally changed everything um you could and people had a whole bunch of choices you could carry um smaller rounds but more of them you could have much more powerful rounds if you wanted and mm-hmm. uh, you could for the first time seriously think about making a compact weapon because not only were your rounds more powerful but because it was smokeless because pr- prior to that wherever you used a gun you were giving away your position because this huge fucking cloud of black smoke came out of it but, the, the, you, you just answered my question now. I, I, I was wondering why like, the smokelessness of the, of the gunpowder was important, but, you, but, but you, you've just explained it beautifully, Doc. Um, it, that's only part of it, you see. Um, the, the smokelessness is almost an unintended consequence. The chemists set out to create a much more powerful propellant. Hang on, mate. I've got, I've got little dog issue again, mate. Hang on. I might, I might, I might be five minutes, mate. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, hold that thought, mate. Exactly where you are. All right, man. Smokelessness of the smokeless powder was a desirable but not intentional consequence. What they were trying to do with the powder was to create a much more powerful propellant, which is obviously something that firearms chemists are, are, are constantly striving to do. And they found this, this, this formulation that also didn't produce smoke. And so for the first time, you could think about having something like a stealth weapon. You could think about having a weapon that you could sneak around in the bushes with yeah. or conceal yeah. under your clothing. Um, and the, the, the visual aspect um, wouldn't give away your position. And then people began to work on flash hiders and things to make the weapon quieter. Yeah. Now called signature reducers. Um, and then the next big change was rangers. So throughout the, the classic rifle war, so the American Civil War and then World War I, um, you needed something that would kill at about half a mile, about a, a, approximately one kilometre. Sure. Um, and then by the end of World War II, when the, the researchers and the experts began looking at the aftermath of battles, and it turns out that most battles were fought at ranges of about 400 feet instead of half a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly, like, that changed everything as well. And instead of uh, an infantryman having a bolt-action or self-loading rifle with 10 rounds, that was completely rethought. And you can have a much smaller round, but probably have 25 or 30 of them yeah um in your clip at once so the history of firearms development follows all kinds of interesting patterns of social and military history obviously because armies of nation states tend to have large budgets and large research budgets um those are projects that get access to new metals new alloys new optics um they they tend to get early access to um the latest in engineering technology so I think far more than cars, far more than aeroplanes, if you want to find out the state of the technology of a society at the time, take a look at its, um, at its shoulder arms. Yeah. I love guns, Doc. I'll be honest with you. I love guns. I know they, I know they cause kind of like despicable damage and um, 
are a terrible thing in, in, in many, many regards. But just like the engineering side of it, I think they're fascinating. I did, I did, my favourite gun, I think, it, I don't know what it's called, but it's the, the one that the Israeli army use that kind of shoots around corners. Have you seen that, Doc? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. it, it, it's just so ingenious. Um, devilishly ingenious, basically. The really important thing to get your head around is that everything is ingenious in its own way. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the, for instance, one of the things that people love to debate nowadays um, is which is better, like, um, which is better, the, AK, uh, the AK-47 or um, the M-16? Um, sure. And, uh, okay, what they should really be saying is which is better, the AK pattern or the AR-15 pattern? Mm-hmm. But we'll leave it alone. Um, and the answer to that question is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you want something that will allow you to um, carry more ammunition um, and is definitely more accurate over a longer range and has terminal ballistics that are good enough for any fight that anyone's going to get into nowadays, then you have an AR-15. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want something that is just going to work, um, and which you can train children to use in one afternoon and requires next to no maintenance, then it's the AK-47 every... And, and, and then you get into trade-offs of, um, well, very often weight, um, because obviously, for instance, people who only play video games don't have to carry these fucking things around with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to give you an idea of what an AK-47 um, and some spare clips would look like, that that comes in, that comes in at almost seven kilograms. Wow. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I mean, just if if you want to just find something that weighs, you know, a, 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 about seven kilograms. So you know, a, a, um, well, seven, seven bags of sugar. You're talking, aren't you? No, it's seven pounds. Oh, oh really? Oh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, you, you're you're right. Bags of sugar are, two, uh, are, are over two pounds. So um, yeah. I would say like um, a weekend bag. Mm-hmm. A fully packed weekend bag, and just mm. try cradling that in your arms, yeah. um, and walk around and going about your business, and just try holding that in your arms for about twelve hours. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, no, you're not allowed to put it down. No, everything that you want to do with your hands, you've got to hold. You, you've still got to do whilst holding this burden in your arms, mm-hmm. and just just try doing that for about twelve hours. Um, and then try to imagine that losing a couple of kilos off that weight wouldn't be really, really nice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, should, should we do the next four lines, Doc? What do you think? Riddled convulsions, confetti of flesh, scattered helplessly, losing control of physical facilities. Release the slide, the cleanse inside, prepare to anoint. Snap the tongue in the groove discharge to make my hallowed point. There we go, Doc. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff stuff happening here, isn't it? I love that line, confetti of flesh. That's that's lovely, isn't it? Just a great image. Um, Riddled convulsions. So... The, so the body is kind of riddled with bullets and he's obviously kind of convulsing in its kind of death throes, effectively. Well, um, I think this is what uh, this is um, what uh, unkind people used to call the Spandau Ballet, isn't it? Go on. 
Well, it, it, it's 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 the little dance you do when you get hit by ten or twenty um, rounds from a from from a weapon with a very very high rate of fire. Oh, is that is, is that where that kind of where, where where the name of that band comes from? The oh, it's Ballet. Exactly. Yeah, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, scattered helplessly, helplessly. Again, I, I think I think this is the gun talking, and the gun's pleased. You know, the, the, the helplessness of the victim doing its Spandau Ballet pleases the gun greatly, I think. That's my interpretation there. But then we've got this interesting last word, losing your control of physical facilities. They mean faculties, don't they, Doc? Yes, they do. They do. <laughs> they really do, don't it's they? It's just carry. Um, Unless um, physical facilities, um, it's not out of the question that, physical facilities could be a military analyst's expression for um, material assets, mm. um, i.e. people. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah very, very good. Oh, that, yeah, that, yeah that, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Release the slide to cleanse inside. There's a double meaning there, isn't there? So you release the slide to yeah. cleanse inside. So it's, it's kind of cleansing the inside of the, of like the chamber of the gun because now the bullet is not there, so it's empty within, so it's clean. But also, it's 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 cleansing the like, like the mind of the of the person shooting the gun, you know, uh, kind of purifying their their own instinct effectively. Um, it, it's um, this this is this is the hallowed point that he's describing here. Yeah. It, it's um, it's the ritual by which a profane or mundane object can become a sacred object. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, you obviously by by cleaning your piece, um, you also um, make your peace with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the, the description that's used here, I think, explicitly refers to the field strip of the Colt nineteen eleven pattern. Right. Mm -hmm. so what you do to 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 release the slide, you pull the slide backwards against its string, uh, against its spring. Then there's a little rod on the front that you have to push in. Then you can lift the slide and then allow it to go forward very slowly against its own springs. You can then take the slide off, um, and you've got the the tongue and groove, um, which are the the two pieces of metal and the piece of metal that fits into them, which guide the slide um, and the sections of the barrel as they move backwards and forwards. And that's what you have to clean and oil very very carefully. Otherwise, sure. you're your arm will stop working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So prepare to anoint. That's a great, that's just a great word there, Doc, to anoint. To anoint yeah. means, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, generally involves some kind of like smearing of a substance on skin, something like that. Very often used in kind of religious ceremonies, you know, you just got to, that, 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 that kind of sense of smearing something waxy or oily, Onto yeah. a fleshy surface. Would you agree? Very specifically, it's the process of, of of making a king or making a god by pouring oil onto their head. Sure, yeah, but, but 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 you know, you, you you could anoint. It doesn't have to be a king, does it? You know, you could anoint. I live in the northern reaches of Canada, and I'm a spear hunter, hunting seals. I can anoint my spear with some kind of poison, can't I? To so you know, I just jab it once, and even if I don't kill it outright, it will it will die from the poison. Um, I think that's a figurative use of uh, use of the word anoint. Right. Um, I, honestly, I've only ever heard anoint 
used in the context of this um, this hallowing process. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so typically, typically in ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, you would have a person who was a hereditary king, but um, until they'd been anointed, um, they weren't yet a uh, they weren't yet a god king. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know the um, the dual meaning here is obviously you're you're using the religious process of anointing um, to to sanctify your weapon. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You're also literally, very, very literally dripping oil onto the parts he's describing to, mm-hmm. uh, to clean and to lubricate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of got that, you know, the, this annoying, because it is, when, when we use that word, it, it, it is always involving some kind of like waxy or oily lubricating yeah. substance. Yeah, it, 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 it's great poetry, isn't it, Doc? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, so you're kind of mocking Kerry on one hand but you know with the other hand giving him great credit i'm going to stick up for myself here for a second Mm. um i think i've said many times kerry always does really well with the imagery and 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 the illusion yeah um those are obviously the bits that he i think he's always done well on those um it's just sometimes some of the surrounding material isn't quite up to it (laughs) Um, but it's not up to it in the best possible way. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um. The power of a gun used with conviction, dispersed on excursions, randomly kills its victims, my sweet revenge, bitter in depression, the thrilling release of a hated, deep persuasion. Um, so I've got a bit of slayer mildness here. It's got like dispersed on excursions. <laughs> An excursion, when, when, when I hear that word, I'm, I'm thinking of like a, a bunch of pensioners kind of on their way to Blackpool. On a boat, uh, um, on a bus trip. You got it, exactly, exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, I think he means expeditions. Yeah, I, I think so um, too. I, I think this is uh, another kind of facility and faculty moment, isn't it? Yeah, and, but this verse is really, really interesting. I'm going to have to be very, very careful about it. I'm going to use the word right-winger, and listeners, on this occasion, by the word right-winger, um, I do not, I absolutely do not mean a fascist or a Nazi or a racist or anything like that. Um, I mean someone who holds political opinions that are to the right of mine, which frankly is most people in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is all. It is merely a description, not a value judgment. Mm. This is the kind of verse that I imagine right-wingers think, left-wingers think about people who like guns. Now, if you were to ask a, um, a person who is likely to be to the right of centre and probably favours... Is, is probably in favour of private gun ownership. Um, they would be appalled at the idea of randomly killing anyone. Those people fetish their marksmanship and they work very, very hard on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of them um, work very, very hard on the safe use of firearms, safe storage, safe operation. Um, I've 
seen some of these people and if they have to watch an episode of a television series where someone is strolling around with their forefinger inside the trigger guard, they'll like wince and start shouting at the television. Sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, and I'm not like a, like a gun guy, you know, but, but I think that when I, when, you know, when I watch a character in a TV show or a movie and they're just kind of, you know, the, 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 their finger is right next to the trigger, and you just think one little kind of one one little spasm, you know, one little or, or one little lack of concentration, and suddenly you've got a fucking bullet in somebody's head. You know, just ask, yeah. just like, just ask Alec Baldwin, for example. <laughs> um, I mean, no, no responsible firearms instructor will not discipline you severely if he sees you doing that. Sure, yeah, quite rightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this is. This verse is a portrayal of the irresponsible use of weapons. Mm-hmm. And my impression is that no one who claims for themselves the right to own firearms and the right to use them responsibly would fail to be appalled at randomly, the idea of randomly killing anyone. Um, apart from anything else, it's bad marksmanship. We've got this interesting use of randomly kills its victims. Again, this is like anthropomorphization, isn't it? You know, it, it, almost like the gun is some kind of you know, like, like sentient character in this narrative. The victims are the victims of the gun, not of the person holding the gun and pulling the trigger. Yeah, but then you've got this distancing effect here. It's not randomly kills my victims or randomly kills. Um, it's randomly kills its victims. Is the gun referring to its owner? But no, I think the it is the gun. If the gun is speaking here, mm. if this um, the gun's in a monologue, why does it not say my? Randomly kills its victims. You're right. It's it's almost like uh, no, you're right. There's there's like an alienation thing going on. It, yeah, there's a distancing it, effect. It's kind of it's a little bit Brechtian, Doc. I, I love to mention Brecht whenever whenever I possibly yeah. can. Yeah, um, it, it's a little bit Brechtian. I. Can't deny it for a second. <laughs> um, a hated deep persuasion. Um, listeners, uh, listeners, you can't see this, um, but I am now standing at right angles to Mo, um, purposefully averting my gaze from his. You child, you know nothing. You told me that you would be here at 12 o'clock. And who cares for time? Who cares for plans? Look there. See what you have done. It is upon us. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, there would be another audience between me and that scene, just to make it yeah. even more fucking Brechtian, Doc. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, wow, I really enjoyed that. That was great. Um, <laughs> a hated deep persuasion. Um hated deep persuasion is that the deep persuasion of the gun that that, that that knows its only purpose in life is to inflict pain and suffering and death or is that the deep persuasion of the person holding the gun that's going to pull the trigger and force the gun to do something that it does not really want to do I'm struggling a lot yeah. with this line um I mean, there's, I think what he's attempting to do is to push the set of paired imagery from the previous verse that release 
is very specifically the thing, I think you'll also hear it called the sear, or maybe the sear bar. The release is the thing that's attached to the trigger, which is obviously a lever, and it has a long part that your finger pulls on, and a very short part, and that typically has a bar attached to it, which is a, at the other end is attached to a pole which holds the hammer backwards. And when, when you squeeze the trigger, don't pull a trigger, when you squeeze the trigger, you will normally pull on the release, which I think disengages the sear and allows the hammer to fall. Sure. Um, Hammerfall reference, DC. Wow. And, and Queen, all at the same time. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, a slightly cack-handed um, attempt to sort of push on, uh, push, push forward the dual engineering oblique stroke psychological simile set from the previous verse. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, I'm pleased with him for trying. I don't think it's a very good line. Fair enough, Doc. Uh, do, you want, do you want to give us the last eight lines? <laughs> Power of a gun used with conviction, diffused compulsions and ending repercussions, violent emotion, screaming revulsion, spasmodic convulsions, death and empty gun. Unending repercussions. What what are these repercussions and why do they exist? Um it's he's he's doing the same thing again. Um Repercussions or the, uh, of the, the percussion um, is obviously the, the, the kinetic energy um, of propellant turning chemical energy into kinetic energy um, and pushing the bullet forward. And then the repercussion or recoil is the equal and opposite amount of energy that goes backwards into the shooter. But it's smart, isn't it? Because there are, you know, that's like the, like, you know, like the physics teacher explanation. Yeah. But of course, there are repercussions when you yeah. point a gun at somebody and pull the fucking trigger um, yeah so it, it's 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 also used to mean consequences exactly correct yeah so it's it, it it's super smart isn't it doc yeah um and i mean obviously if you then reference um one song uh two songs ago if uh, if you reference uh, expendable youth mm. we know from that that uh, what the repercussions are likely to be is that you'll start a gang war sure mm-hmm yeah, I was wondering that. Are the repercussions kind of gang violence or are the repercussions just, you know, just, I don't know, like, like, like some mad fucking spree killer in a, in a shopping centre or something? They're the repercussions they're talking about there, aren't they? Uh, yeah, and I mean, sometimes the repercussions are very asymmetric. Um, there was a, a, a student named Gavilo Princip who um, shot just one guy. He shot a chap called Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Oh, uh, sure. In, <laughs> yeah, we've heard of him. Yeah. In, uh, in Serbia in 1913, and that turned out to have some repercussions now, mm. didn't it? Certainly did. You're quite right. Yeah. Um, my lyric sheet says spasmic convulsions. Oh. Right, but Tom definitely says spasmodic convulsions. <laughs> Do you suppose he just means spastic? Well, but, but but the word spasmodic isn't it? It is not yes. spasmodic, but 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 Tom clearly on the album, 
on the album and on every live version that, that, that I watched say spasmodic. And, but again, this is, they've just got the word wrong, haven't they? Um, it, or is it just a serious attempt by Tom to make up a new word? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and of course people can, 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 you know, can, can can get offended by the word spastic, but the word spastic does not, by necessity, refer to, you know, like, like a handicapped person. Like, spa, like spastic movement is how how do you how do you describe that, Doc? It, 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 it's like having no control of your own kind of physicality, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Um, is is it greatly different from incontinence? Incontinence, um, I suppose that's one like a symptom of it, or you know, like, I suppose like somebody with Tourette's with like the tics, you know, the, 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 that's like sp spastic motion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what's the correct, um, what's the correct expression for the the symptoms of um, like very late stages Parkinson's disease? Yeah, part, yeah, well, I think they call them um, what do they, uh, like twitching or yeah, twitching, ticking. I think that's how it's described. That that's what's being talked about. So spastic is not yeah. being used to as like a denigrating term for handicapped people. Fortunately, no. I don't think. Um, and, and and spasmodic, you know, spasmodic. If, if something is spasmodic, it's that sense of like spasming without any kind of control, isn't it? I suppose. Or just unpredictable timing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. That, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh huh. If you, um, yeah, because you, 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 you could refer to a piece of music as being spasmodic, couldn't you? Um, I think emissions from certain kinds of uh, radio producing stars are referred to as spasmodic. Mm. Oh yeah. For, yeah. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I suppose like like a geezer is repetitive and predictable and you know, but, but you could have, Wait. like, a spasmodic geezer, couldn't you? Every time I get cornered by a geezer down the pub, is nothing but predictable <laughs> and repetitive. I'm banging <laughs> on about the fucking baggies all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, uh, and in that case, the word spastic might be appropriate. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Are we going to get in trouble, Doc? The snowflakes are listening. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, death. An empty gun. I've got, to, I've got to tell you, Doc, I think that is possibly my favourite kind of endpoint lyrically and the way, that, the way that it works with the music of any Slayer track. Death, an empty gun. And then they go, dun, 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 and then just the way it changes, it, 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 it's such a kind of a, a, a potent line. Death, colon, an empty gun. It's brilliant. Is it a bit of a George Harrison reference, do you think? Oh, I don't know about that. You're talking about, like, um... um well, happiness is a warm ha gun. She's not a girl who misses much. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, yeah. Acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand Like a lizard on a windowpane The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors On his hobnail boots Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy Working overtime A soap impression of his wife Which he ate and donated to the national
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very interesting, Doc. I, I, I never made that connection. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's as bad as some of them are. They're actually really good lyrics. Mm. Um, I'm going to take this as actually now my exhibit A in my set of evidence that even when Kerry can't master basic teenage poetry, um, his use of imagery um, and just his, his use of words to do clever things mm-hmm. um, is always really, really good. I, and I've, by now, I've come to take such affection to the, to the bits of unintentional mildness sure. and, just the, and, and the bits that don't make sense. Um, and I, I, it just leads me to sort of love Kerry King more and more and more with him. Because um, when he does it well, when he writes properly good lyrics, then you just go, fucking hell, Kerry, I had no idea you had that in you. Uh-huh. Um, and then when he writes a song like this, you think to yourself, well, um, it's almost like the, the parts of it that are superficially laughable then get undercut and used for counterpoint for the bits that are truly chilling. Sure. Yeah, he, 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 he's a real kind of uh, like dichotomy, isn't he, Kerry, with, 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 with his lyric writing, because there are moments of great vision, insight and imagery. But then you know, just from time to time, he, he just picks the wrong word, doesn't he? He needs a better, he needs a better thesaurus, Doc. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, uh, is, is this what people call idiot savant? Idiot savant, I suppose. I mean, Kim, Kim Peek's the... Uh, the great example of an idiot savant, isn't he? Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about, Doc? I don't know. Kim Peek is, um, he's a gentleman that was the in, the inspiration for the film Rain Man. Um, oh, okay. And, you know, th- this guy was, I mean, I mean, autistic, doesn't even begin to cover it, you know, d- d- right, right at the top of the spectrum, basically. This motherfucker could read a book, both pages at once. So you, you kind of open a book and he could read both pages in one go, turn the, you know, turn the page and read the next two pages. And remember, so one eye is looking at page one, the other eye is looking at page two. And he, you know, he read through it, 20 seconds, turn the page, and then with photographic clarity, absolutely describe you know, what you, the details of both pages, you know, that's, that's idiot savant, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'd say that's the, um, the classic definition. And I mean, uh, Kerry actually gets really, really close to that on occasion. Mm. Mm. Um, Anything else to say about the lyrics, Doc, or? No, um, I, think, I think we are all done. Mm. Um, once again, we've managed to say some really, really insulting things about Kerry King. Uh, but it's, it's not our intention, and, and hopefully one day we'll get to meet him. You know, we, we, when this podcast blows up and becomes the most um, popular Slayer-related podcast in the world, um, you know, we, we, we'll get to shake his hand and have a chat. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I hope that he understands that any criticism comes from a place of deep, deep love. I mean, uh, the... My primary justification for all of this is um, at least we put a fair bit of time into like studying the stuff and yeah. reading 
and there, there are no snap judgments going on here. It's not like a, a 10 second read through and ha ha ha, this is shit. Yeah, um, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, if, if anything, Doc, it's almost like we're kind of over-analyzing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to give you our final thoughts and summations and talk about anything else that we forgot. Before that, some details. Um, uh, music here was written by uh, Mr. Jeff Hanneman and Mr. Tom Araya. And the lyrics were by Mr. Jeff Hanneman and Mr. Kerry King. So Hanneman was involved here as well, Doc. Bit of a surprise, really, but there you go. Um, according to Setlist, this was played 299 times, putting it in 34. First position, first play was at uh, a place called KB Hallen in Copenhagen. Now, that's three days after the uh, Poughkeepsie gig. Uh, This is the 10th of September, 1990, where I think every other track so far was on the 7th of September. Um, at, 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 At that place, what's it called? Was it called The Chance or... The chance, the chance, Poughkeepsie, yeah. Um, so this is three days later. I mean, maybe this one just needed a bit more polish, a bit more practice in the rehearsal room. I don't know. Yeah, um, I would love to get to see Slayer's recording diaries, wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to get to know how long they spent on each song and where in the recording schedule their best songs and their weakest songs fall. Sure, yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I would love to get to know, for instance, whether um, they're one of these bands who go into making a new album with five songs they really care about and then the intention to write five more songs when they're in the studio mm-hmm. or they go in with a bunch of songs that they've already played out and they've already picked which ones are going on the album. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it certainly seems with, with this album, they had not played a single one until after the album was released. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, last play, uh, October the 13th, 2017, a place called Nambahatch, and that was in Osaka, Japan. Um, Loudwire say this about this track. They, they put it in number 37th position in their ranking. Um, Eschewing themes of dark fantasy and satanic might, Slayer's lyrical focus magnified horrors that existed within the real world on Seasons in the Abyss. With Hallowed Point, they turned to gun violence as nuanced leads zip by at the speed of a, quote, high-velocity bullet at close range, end quote. While the nature of a gun is relatively simple, Araya's words offer a glimpse into the devastating and awesome power of this lethal force. Again, Loudwire haven't done their research because Hanneman wrote some of the lyrics as well, no, no. Hang on, let me have a look. Hold on. No lyrics are Hanneman and King, so Araya has nothing to do with the words that are written. It's a strange thing, isn't it? I think people make the presumption that the words are exactly, but 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 it's not true, is it? And it's so often not true. Um, very, very, very often not true. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm not a big writing credits person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, 
I think he I think he need to have been in a band um, of some kind, and you you'll realise that like trying to ascribe who wrote what on what is an almost meaningless exercise. Well, you know, we played in a band together. How many words did you write that I sang, and how many words did I write that you sang? You know what I mean? Just because it's coming out of that person's mouth does not mean that, that, that that's the person that wrote it. That's right. Uh, uh, but, I mean, even the ones that I started off and then I ended up doing the vocals for, a very typical situation is somebody would say to me, um, what was that lyric there? What was that vocal there? Was it this? And I'd have to say, um, no, it wasn't, but actually yours is better than mine. So then you go back and fiddle in your notebook. Mm-hmm. And if... If the way you write, so uh, uh, unless you're like a proper Broadway composer um, and you have a, a, a lyrical specialist, the process of writing songs by a band in the studio, somebody will likely come along with some lyrics written on like a paper bag or um, like a, a, a notebook if they're really diligent. But uh-huh. the, the, the things that they, the, the lyrics they wrote, the lyrics they composed before they brought the song into practice for the first time won't bear any relation to the lyrics that are there after you've practised it even three or four times. No, no, you're right, Doc. You're absolutely correct. And any final thoughts here, Doc, before we, uh, you know, before we kind of pronounce? Well, I, I mean, this album shows no sign of letting up in, in terms of intensity or quality, does it? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. This, you know, the, the, it's another it's another barnstormer, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, the, no doubt this is a great, great song. Kind of, kind of, where it fits in the in the scheme of of, of kind of Slayer's back catalogue, you know, it's it's confusing for me. Um, do you want to pronounce, or have you got anything to get off your chest before that moment? I just need to allude to the fact um, something I should have mentioned during the discussion of the lyrics, and I didn't. I don't think it's very important. Um, but people will be surprised if I don't mention it. Um, the, the title of the song is obviously a reference to a hollow point, mm-hmm. um, which is very explicit. It, it, it's, um, it's a type of bullet, um, which is characterised by having a flat end, um, and they are almost, almost exclusively for civilian and personal defence use. Um, most military cartridges will be up for metal jacket or, or possibly some kind of frangible you, you have a hollow point um, in order to have a relatively compact round, um, such as a 45 ACP or a 9mm parabellum, um, and to give it the greatest chance of wounding or killing upon first impact. It's maximum damage, isn't it? A hollow point yeah. is maximum damage. M- kind of like minimal skill, maximal damage. Yes. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That's so, my understanding. So, um, so the bullet hits, hits the, the target and effectively... Like disintegrates, so all of the like the stuff inside it shreds and 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 and, and kind of splinters and 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 rips through, you know, whatever um, it's hitting. I don't think it's supposed to be actually frangible. Um, my understanding is that it, um, be- well, because the soft lead is exposed at the end, then the brass section will kind of open up like the petals of a flower. Ah, uh, oh sure. So, um, the, the the thing that makes the entry wound might only be um, like 0.45 inches or nine millimeters in diameter, but as it slows down and as it sort of blossoms out like that, you'll get something with a much much larger diameter. Oh sure, so, so, so 
those kind of like metallic tendrils as they as they're ripping th through the flesh are causing massive damage. Of course, sure. it's rotating as well. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine. Can't just like fucking mincing up the muscle, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, absolutely ghastly. Should have mentioned that during the discussion of the lyrics. Didn't. Needed to mention it now because people will be surprised if I don't. Okay. It's all right, Doc. No, no. Well, you, you got it done. Um, do you want to give you swords? Um, I mean, it's, it's not up there. For me, it's not up there with the last three tracks. Um... And, but, I mean, I still feel the need to give it 8 out of 10 Lequescent Swords. 8 out of 10 Lequescent Swords for the dock, and I, I, I think that's fair enough. Um, I understand why you kind of kind of degrade a couple of points there. I mean, for me, I, I, can't, I can't remove from my head just how much fun this is to play. Oh, sure. Um, you know, it, it, it is my favourite Slayer, Slayer song in terms of playing it on guitar. And I understand that, you know, maybe maybe it is a bit kind of one note in, in certain ways. I understand that lyrically, maybe it's not as sophisticated as the, like the first five tracks on the album. But just the sheer joy this track has given me in my life right now, you know, I'm thinking as soon as we as as soon as we hit stop, you know, on this recording, I'm going to pick up the guitar and I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to play this track, um, <laughs> and and for and for that, that reason, cool. it has to get a ten out of ten for me, Doc. I, I fucking love this song. I love it, um, but but it's maybe you know for, for for different reasons than than most people would have. It's ten out of ten. It's ten mo mo mouldering skulls out of ten. Um, I don't dislike it or anything. All I've said is I don't like it quite as much as the previous three tracks. Well, I mean, you've given it eight out of ten, Doc. That, 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 that's quite a ringing endorsement of anything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's about it for this episode. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Bearcast or on email at slitanicbearcast at gmail.com. Join us next time for track seven of Seasons in the Abyss, which is, of course, Skeletons of society gonna be there doc oh you bet your life i am